They fit perfectly with where we're at. Today's message is entitled, The Heart of a Father, and we're going to unpack that with some things right here out of chapter 7. So, before we begin, I do want to pray. This is God's Word. I believe He speaks to us through His Word, and so I just want to pray to settle our hearts for this time that we'll have together. So, will you pray with me right now? Father, we thank you so much for this morning and this time of worship together. And Father, as we get into your word right now, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives. Settle our hearts to receive from you. And Lord, help us find ways that we can apply this into our life. We ask for your grace and anointing over this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, if you're a dad, this is a bonus for you. The dad jokes. Um, the shortest prophet in the Bible is Nehemiah. If you've ever heard of that, that's a grown dad joke. That's the only one you're going to get for this message today. So, I don't know if I'll tell that one in the next service, given how that just went over. So, <laughs> all right. Verse 1. Here we go. Let's get into the word here. The Bible says, After the wall was finished, I had set up the doors and the gates, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. And I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress. For he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. And I said to them, Do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve at sentry points and some in front of their own homes. At that time, the city was large and spacious, but the population was small, and none of the houses had been rebuilt." So my God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and leaders of the city along with the ordinary citizens for registration. And I had found the genealogical record of those who had first returned to Judah. Now, if you want to go home and totally unpack all of these names, go for it. I'm going to jump to 63, verse 63, and uh, we're going to pick up a little bit of this genealogy. But in verse 63, the Bible says, Three families of priests, Hobiah, Hakaz, and Barzillai, also returned. And this Barzillai had married a woman who was a descendant of Barzillai of Gilead, and he had taken her family name. They searched for their names in the genealogical records, but they were not found. So they were disqualified. From serving as priests. The governor told them not to eat the priest's share of food from the sacrifices until a priest could consult with the Lord about the matter using the Urim and Thummim, the sacred lots. Now, those would be gemstones that the priests would use to discern God's will in times where maybe it was difficult to decide what does God want me to do. They would use the Urim and the Thummim, the sacred lots. Verse 66, so a total of 42,360 people returned to Judah in addition to 7,337 servants and 245 singers, both men and women. They took with them 736 horses, 
245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. Some of the family leaders gave gifts for the work, and the governor gave to the treasury 1,000 gold coins, 50 gold basins, and 530 robes for the priests. The other leaders gave to the treasury a total of 20,000 gold coins and some 2,750 pounds of silver for the work. The rest of the people gave 20,000 gold coins, about 2,500 pounds of silver, and 67 robes for the priests. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and some of the common people settled near Jerusalem. The rest of the people returned to their own towns throughout Israel. And that is where we'll stop. And uh, we've got a variety of things here that I see in this passage that to me spell out what the heart of a father looks like. And I think you could sit here, if you're not a dad, if you're not a man in the room or listening online, uh, you could check out, right? Just say, well, this isn't for me. This is for my husband or this is for the men in the congregation. There is something in this message for all of us. It's not only just the heart of a father, but there are applicable points for all of us as followers of Jesus. So pay close attention, but I do want to focus in on the fact that there are men being called out in Nehemiah 7 for some of the qualities and some of the things that they're doing. And so I want to emphasize that. So the very first thing I want to highlight is the fear of God. In verse 2, Nehemiah gave responsibility to his brother Hananiah along with Hananiah. And they gave him that responsibility because he says they feared God more than most. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. It's also the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1 and also Psalm 111 tell us that. The Bible also says that the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. In other words, that you don't want anything to do with sin. You find sin disgusting. You find sin to be something you don't want in your life, in your home, in your family, in the environments that you're in. The fear of the Lord hates evil. Proverbs 8. Proverbs 19, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord leads to life. It leads to life and that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. He makes known to those who fear Him His covenant. Psalm 25 tells us that. And so, you know, what's interesting with this is I think the starting point of somebody who has the heart of the Father, the Heavenly Father, it begins with the fear of God. Of God. That's the starting point. Do you fear God? Do you have this respect and this reverence for God Almighty? We live in a culture that doesn't fear God. Would you agree with that? I mean, you look around, all you got to do is turn on the TV and you're thinking, man, there is absolute, you said, rebellion. It's this disrespect for authority, and that starts vertically. If you don't have a fear of God here, you won't have a healthy respect for the people around you and the situations around you. Luke 1, the Bible says that God's mercy extends to those who fear Him. 
from generation to generation. This wasn't just a Nehemiah thing and Hananiah and Hananiah. From generation to generation, if you fear God, His mercy will extend to you. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 103. What's interesting is we unpacked this right away in the very first message of Nehemiah that Hanani, when he came to Nehemiah to tell him what the situation was in Jerusalem, we talked about how Hanani's name means God is gracious. And in God's grace, that message came to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah did something about it. And he went back to Jerusalem to help rebuild this wall. What's interesting is Hananiah's name is basically the same meaning as Hananiah's name. So both of these guys, their name means God is gracious. And in God's grace, if you're somebody who fears God, he will put you in positions of influence and leadership. Nehemiah appoints these guys, and one of the characteristics, one of the things that sticks out for him to put them in that leadership is because they fear God more than most. And I hope we can say the same thing about ourselves. When it comes to integrity and when it comes to that reverence for God, God's grace will abound in your life. So I could have put this next point first, but I think it starts with fear. Okay? And then I say that God's mercy extends to those who fear Him. His compassion extends to those who fear Him. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And those who fear the Lord, it leads to life. The next point in regards to having a heart of a father is that you've accepted Jesus into your life. If you don't fear God, you won't get to that next step. Of receiving Christ. Does that make sense? You have to come to that posture of realizing who God is and who you are. And when that's, that's right, you'll realize you need Jesus in your life. And so this acceptance of Jesus, this is the verse that I see this. And it's, it's just really interesting that you see these priests that were listed in verse 64. It says they searched for their names in the genealogical records, but they weren't found. They couldn't find their names, and so consequently they were disqualified from serving as priests. And when I read that, I'm thinking, isn't that the same thing when it comes to the Lamb's Book of Life? And if your name is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. The Bible calls those in the kingdom followers of Jesus. We're called a priesthood. We are priests in God's kingdom. And if you're not in the book of life, you're not a part of the kingdom. Revelation 3, verse 5, the Bible says, All who are victorious will be clothed in white. And the Bible says, I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and His angels that they are mine. Revelation 20, verse 15, Anyone whose name is not found recorded in the book of life 
is thrown into the lake of fire. In Revelation 21, verse 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter into the city of God, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How does your name get written? Well, you receive Jesus. You accept him into your life. And regarding us and that kingdom priesthood, here's the throne room saying this to Jesus. They sang a new song with these words. This is Revelation verse 5, starting in verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for, for God for, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Then verse 10, and you have caused them, you've caused them to become a kingdom of priests for God. And they will reign on the earth. The Bible calls us priests in the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, we're chosen people, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession, and as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The heart of a father receives Jesus Christ. The next component of this is trustworthiness, integrity. So I'm going back to verse 2 here, but it says that these two guys were selected, one because they feared God more than most, but the other is because of the integrity that they carried with them. They lived an honest life. There was not a huge sin issue that they were secretly carrying with them. They had integrity. Billy Graham says that integrity is the glue that holds our way of life together. And we must constantly strive to keep our integrity intact. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. But when character is lost, all is lost. Integrity is incredibly important. And understand this. This is from the Life Application Bible. Integrity and reverence pass the test of time. If you want good leaders, if you want good, solid people serving in the kingdom, fear God and live with integrity. Those two qualities right there stand the test of time. You may not have all the gifts. You may not have all the talents. You may not be able to say things in the right way. But I'm telling you right now, if you just fear God and you live with integrity, there are big things for you in the kingdom of God. God will use you. It's important to be trustworthy. Another component of the heart of a father is they're a home protector. Now I see this in verses 3 and 4. Nehemiah tells them to appoint residents of Jerusalem and act as guards, everyone on a regular watch in front of their own homes. That is your responsibility as a parent, as a grandparent, Maybe you don't even have kids, but you're responsible for your house. You're responsible for your home. And at that time, the city was large and spacious, but the population was small. And it says, none of the houses had been rebuilt. And here's the thing. We live in a society where there are fractured homes 
all around us. And perhaps there's somebody listening right now that maybe there's a fracture in your own home. And I see this and I say, you know what? You can rebuild. It's not over. It's not too far gone. God wants to work. He wants to help you to protect the home. The heart of a father, you're also an equipper. And we can look at verse 70, and then also I'll toss in 71. Some of the family leaders gave gifts for the work of the kingdom, the things that were happening. Verse 71, the leaders also gave to the treasury. These family leaders were the heads of the father's houses. But these gifts that they gave, they gave to the work, they gave to the temple ministry. And I look at that and I think, for those who have the heart of the Father, we are people who equip. We equip in God's kingdom. We equip people in our own home. We do things based on the things that God has done in our life. I, you remember this generosity series, probably seems like five years ago, but it was just probably five months ago before the whole COVID season. But one of my first messages in that series was, the only reason why you're generous is because God's grace has done its work in your life. And so, these people who are equippers, they're giving, they're equipping in the kingdom. And those who have the heart of a father, they're equippers too. We're not hoarders, we don't try to take everything into our own little kingdom. That would be selfish. That would be the heart of a liar, not a father. The enemy wants you to build your own kingdom because essentially it's his kingdom. Until the Lord is a part of that equation, you're just building your own kingdom as opposed to the kingdom of God. My last point in regards to the heart of a father is there's a responsibility. You're responsible. Verse 73, the Bible says that all these priests and Levites and gatekeepers, singers and temple servants, and even some of the common people, they settled near Jerusalem. Now you can read that and think, okay, so there's some folks that, if you will, took on the responsibility and said, we're going to stay here and help to establish what needs to take place here. They took on a responsibility. Rather than go back to the things that they maybe once knew, they said, we are settling here because it's time to make things happen in Jerusalem. They took on that responsibility. And we get this emphasized further for us in Nehemiah chapter 11. In verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that the leaders of the people that are living in Jerusalem, the holy city, and a tenth of the people from other towns of Judah and Benjamin were chosen by sacred lots to live there too, while the rest of the people stayed where they were. And here's the point. And the people commended everyone who volunteered to resettle in Jerusalem. They took on a responsibility to be in Jerusalem. And there is a responsibility for all of us in the kingdom of God. Are we willing to do our part? The heart of the Father at work in our life, we will take on that responsibility to be involved in the kingdom work. So with it being Father's Day, 
And I think about the kind of influence that these men and these people had as they were rebuilding Jerusalem. Zerubbabel comes in to help rebuild the temple. Nehemiah comes in to help rebuild the wall. We'll get to know this guy Ezra in the coming weeks who's there to help bring this reformation with God's word into people's lives. And so you see this rebuilding process, but the people got involved, and I want us to just think about this for a second. God's mercy comes to those who fear him from generation to generation. These people got involved. Do you think there were any kids that were watching this go down? you ever thought about that? Watching mom or dad lay brick after brick and even asking questions. Why are we doing this? What's the point? There's a witness to what was taking place. There's a testimony. And these kids, they're watching. And their faithfulness to accomplish the ministry of the kingdom it has an impact. And I want to show you this video that, that drives that point home. Dad, you don't know it right now, but I'm watching you. Watching the things you do. I'm watching the way you treat people. The way you treat me and my mom and my sister. The way you live your life is having a big impact on me. When it's time for me to choose a career and provide for my family, your work ethic will be on my mind. The time you spend with me, even doing simple things, will give me a sense of security. There will be times in my life where I struggle with integrity, and I may be not sure what to do. But I will recall how you stood up for what was right, even if you could have looked the other way. Many of the choices you are making, I will also make. Please don't be afraid to show me your failures, to show me your mistakes. I will learn from them. Dad, are you listening? I'm watching. Watching to see if you really believe what you say about God. I need you to help show me the way. Show me how to live life that isn't safe, but is good. So I'm watching you, Dad, every day. You're teaching me how to live. 
whether you know it or not. Kids are watching, aren't they? Whether you're a grandparent, parent, there's an influence that we have. Maybe you're a mentor. Perhaps there's someone young that you are, are guiding along in life, showing them who Christ is. Whether you're a dad or a mom, male, female, young, old, you're investing and there's people that are watching as you do kingdom work. Had a great conversation yesterday with Eric Howard in regards to a lot of the tension that we see here in America. And there was something that was said in that discussion yesterday that I'm like, oh man, I feel like I need to share that with the message today. And the question that came up was, how much does fatherlessness have a role in the dysfunction and the discord that you see in our nation? In our society, it's crumbling. How much is fatherlessness a part of that picture? And Eric expressed, I mean, it's a high percentage, high percentage. But as, as we began to discuss that, this thought occurred to me. It's not just about the absence of an earthly father. It's the absence of the heavenly father. And so this, this means a couple of things. For the homes that don't have the earthly father, it means that those kids can still have a father. I read at the very beginning, he's a father to the fatherless. And Eric was a man who grew up without a dad. And I believe Eric is the way that he is, this fine, upstanding man of God, because he has his heavenly father. But what this also means is, is that there can be homes that have earthly dads, but they can still be fatherless. They can be without the Heavenly Father. And so it's a responsibility for every home to bring the Heavenly Father into play and to make sure that we understand that having the Father's heart is so important. That's a good challenge for all of us. For younger families, you think the kids are watching, the things you do, they matter. Whether there's a Bible in your hand or something else, they're watching. They see you. kind of hand you have towards your spouse in love or maybe frustration. They see that. But the most important thing you can leave is the legacy of the kingdom of God. And even if you're a dad to those kids for 70 years, if they don't have Christ, listen to me very clearly, if they don't have Christ in their life, they are still fatherless. We need to bring the heart of the Father into our homes. Grandparents, parents, 
finding ways to minister to people in our neighborhood. Maybe you've got a set of neighbors that are fatherless. How can you introduce them to the Heavenly Father? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your great love in our life that you've extended toward us. Your love reaches us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He came to this earth and he paid the penalty and the price for sin that separates us from you. And when he rose again, the power of his resurrection brings the freedom from sin and death that is available to all simply by coming to Jesus and asking for him to come into their lives. And perhaps there's someone listening right now that you would be considered fatherless because you've not received Jesus in your life. Well, I want to invite you today I want to invite you into the family of God. If you'd like to receive him, just simply pray with me. Say, Jesus, today I'd ask that you'd come and live in my life. Please forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me and make me new. And I thank you that you are giving me access to my heavenly Father. Today I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you for this gift of salvation and being welcomed into the family of God. And this may be the first time I'll say this, but happy Father's Day as you're my heavenly Father. And Lord, for... For all of us, help us to live with your heartbeat, to live with a healthy fear of God, to live with integrity, and Lord, to be people who protect our homes and we equip in the kingdom of God and we take on the responsibility in the kingdom. Guide us, Holy Spirit. Show us how to respond today. Thank you for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we sing our last two songs, I just want to take a moment that if you're somebody that's watching online or, or here today that prayed that prayer of salvation to receive Christ into your life, we have a resource for you called Now What? And uh, we want to equip you with that. It's, it's a resource to guide you in your next steps of your faith journey as you've received Christ. And if you're watching online, you can find that with the link that you see there on the screen, faceccpalmer.org forward slash now dash what. And we'll guide you in the next steps of your spiritual journey. And we're so thankful for all you dads. Again, happy Father's Day to you. And as we continue to worship.